Last week, I finished my sermon and I headed to the front of the stage here like I always do after I'm done preaching just to see if anyone has any questions or wants to talk or whatever. And I see this middle school student kind of sheepishly approaching me when we got done and finally made it up to me and was kind of just ba- very bashful. Uh, pa- Pastor Ronnie, um, can I ask you a question about the sermon? And at this point, I'm like, we are achieving our goal. Like, we want to make faith practical. Like, we want to take, and you know, how do we make, uh, take all this so you know how to apply it to your life? And this is happening with a middle school kid. Like, I'm the greatest preacher ever. Like, I am feeling so good right now. And what they got ready, what they asked me next just will not make sense unless you were here last week. But here is what they asked. I said, yeah, bud, ask away. And I'm, I just can't wait. Like, how, how do they want to apply this to their life? And the middle school student looks at me and goes, what's stew? <laughs> no longer felt good about myself anymore. I didn't know I needed to explain what stew was. Uh, and so I told them, and then I asked for their parents' names so I could chastise them this week and remove them from our church for not teaching their kid what, what stew was. Well, this is part four of a five-week series in which we're talking about something we expect from everyone else, something that we hold everyone else accountable to, our leaders, pastors, teachers, employees, employers, friends, kids, spouse, but something that we're quick to make excuses for when there's a lack of it in our own lives. And that thing is integrity. And there's many different ways to define integrity, but to make it short, make it portable, here's a definition we're using throughout this series. Integrity is doing what you ought to, even if it costs you. Integrity is the resolve and courage to do the right thing you know you ought to do, even when it costs you to do so just because it's the right thing to do. Now, in week one, we talked about that what, you know, what's truly right, that, you know, when we say, you know, it's the right thing, what's truly right, it's not based on our opinions, our preferences, our emotions, our feelings. What's truly right that we're talking about throughout the series is what's founded and grounded, uh, you know, in the truths, the promises, the principles, and the commands of God that he reveals through the writers of Scripture. And that the Holy Spirit prompts and stirs and convicts us that we ought to do. Which means true integrity is anchored in and defined by a God who's outside of you but who's working in you in order to lead you. Throughout the last few weeks, we discovered that my integrity and your integrity is a really big deal, not just for you, but for everyone around you, because as integrity goes, so goes everything. And the anchor verse of this series is from Proverbs 11.3. We look at it every week, but here it is again. The integrity of the upright. The upright are those who stand up straight, who take the long view, who look up and look out. The integrity of the upright guides them. In other words, people of integrity maintain their integrity because integrity is their guide. It's their north star. It's their decision-making filter. They make this the decision to do the right thing they know they ought to regardless of what it costs them. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful, the crooked, those who live like this, just focus on right now and just focus on the immediate, 
are destroyed by their duplicity. And we've all got a story of making a decision based on immediate instead of important. Now versus later, want to versus ought to, and the destruction that it caused in ours and in other people's lives. As your integrity goes, so goes your reputation, your mental health, your emotional health, your future, the respect people have for you. And it's something we talked about a few weeks ago that we're going to revisit again. So goes your ability to experience the fullness of God's presence in your life. But your integrity, your lack of integrity is never isolated to just you. It impacts everything and everyone around you as well. Integrity or lack of integrity, it's personal, but it's never, but it's never private. Because the consequences of a lack or a break of integrity, the, the, it, impacts the, it, it impacts the people around us. It's your personal decision, but it impacts the persons around you. As your integrity goes, so goes the health and strength of your relationships at home, at work, at school, on your team, with your spouse, your coworkers, your kids, your parents, your friends, each other. And listen, this is so important. Your lack of integrity will eventually destroy you and the people around you. But if you're guided by integrity, if integrity is your primary decision-making filter, you, those closest around you, your relationships, they're going to benefit greatly. Integrity is the resolve and courage to do the right thing you know you ought to, especially when it costs you. Now today, we're going to look at another story in the Old Testament involving food, but this time the main character models what is required to maintain integrity when doing the right thing we know we ought to is the costly thing. And the big idea that we're going to discover today is this. To maintain integrity, we must make up our minds ahead of time to be guided by integrity. Which means the only way that we'll maintain our integrity is by making up our minds, by pre-deciding ahead of time that we're going to do the right thing we know we ought to when the time comes that doing so may cost us. May cost us financially, may cost us our comfort, may cost us time, may cost us a relationship, may cost us a reputation, may cost us that opportunity, may cost us our position. Maintaining integrity, being a person guided by integrity requires a pre-decision. It requires a pre-decision because, you know this, one breach of integrity leads to another. And not only that, the first breach makes the second breach easier and the second breach creates a pattern. And let's be honest, some of us have completely abandoned our integrity. Not because we don't want to be people of integrity, but because we've forgotten or we don't know that when it comes to integrity, one breach leads to another. The first makes the second breach easier and the second breach creates a pattern. And that pattern creates a direction. And direction, not intention. Direction, not prayers. Direction, not beliefs. Direction, not hopes, determines destination. The direction that we're headed financially now determines the destination that we arrive at financially in the future. Did you know that? Regardless of how much you pray about it. The direction we're headed spiritually, relationally, emotionally, mentally, occupationally, educationally right now determines the destination we arrive at in those areas in the future. Now, I know a destination that some of us have arrived at is that we're not experiencing the presence of God in our lives. And we're frustrated 
And it does not make sense. And it doesn't make sense to us because of what we talked about in week one of this series. That according to the writers of scripture, the, the moment that we put our faith in Jesus, by asking him to be the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life, that at that moment, God's spirit or the Holy Spirit takes residence within us. He takes residence so we can feel and experience God's presence. He takes residence so that we can know and relate to God. He takes residence to transform us more into everything that God's created us to be. He takes residence to speak to us, to guide us, and to fill us with his power, his strength, his hope, his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, his self-control. And many of us have put our faith in Jesus, and we believe that, that God's Spirit took residence in us at that moment. But we're not experiencing any of that. We want to experience God's presence and power in our lives, but we aren't experiencing anything close to that, and we're left confused, and we're left frustrated, and we're, asking, we're left asking why. And it could be for, you know, the answer could, be, you know, could have numerous answers to that, but from my experience, one of the primary reasons is because many times we've chosen to close ourselves off to God. We've chosen to close ourselves off to God by ignoring the promptings, the leadings, the stirrings, the convictions, the ought tos of the Holy Spirit. And listen, this is so important. The only way to experience and be filled with God's presence and power is to place ourselves. In his hands. To open ourselves completely to him, his will, his direction, what he would have us do, what he wants us to do, his ways, what is true and right according to him. And this or this is directly linked to us doing the right thing we know we ought to. The right thing God would have us do, especially when it costs us to do so. As your integrity goes, so goes your ability to experience God's presence in your life. But to maintain integrity, we must make up our minds ahead of time to be guided by integrity. Now the story that we're going to look at today is found in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, and is about Daniel... And was written by Daniel. It's all very confusing. And here's a little context to kind of set up the scene. In about 605 BC, so about 600 years before the events of Jesus' life, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of the Babylonians, who at that time in human history were the world-dominating power, invaded Jerusalem, which is the capital city of southern Israel, or known as Judah at that time. And Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian army, they, they invaded Jerusalem, they broke down the walls, they destroyed homes, they burned down the Israelite temple, which was a huge deal because that structure signified that God's or Yahweh's presence was among them, and then they slaughtered thousands of Israelites. And then Nebuchadnezzar took the best, the brightest, the most educated, you know, those who had the most potential, the most talented, back to Babylon as captives, as slaves, as souvenirs where he would make them citizens of Babylon. Now that's where we're going to jump into the story. But by the way, this story sets up one of the most familiar stories of the entire Old Testament, one of the most power stories of the entire Old Testament that we're going to look at next week. So don't miss next week. But here we go. Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, 
ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the young Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. So Nebuchadnezzar ordered that the best of the best young men of his Israelite hostages to be brought into his palace to serve in the palace and to be trained and taught Babylonian language and Babylonian culture. And the reason for this was because he wanted to make them less Israelite and more Babylonian in every single way. He wanted to completely obliterate and demolish and do away with their religious identity, their cultural identity, and establish a world-dominating Babylonian religion and Babylonian culture. Now, If you were one of these few boys who ended up in this select group, you'd probably feel like you have won the lottery. Because no longer would you have to work in the salt mines or be on the front lines of the battlefield or work in in construction. They got to live in luxury in the palace. Oh, but there's more. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were trained for three, to be trained for three years, and after that, they were, would enter the king's service. So not that only did these few select boys, you know, end up in, you know, high-end dorms, but they got a meal plan. And not just any meal plan. Every day, they got the same food and wine that they got to, you know, to eat and drink the same food and wine that the king ate. And that the king drank, which means this was top-shelf food, and this was top-shelf wine. This is just an exceptional opportunity for these guys. And if you were one of these young boys, one of these teenage boys, you're thinking, don't mess this up. Don't mess this up. Like this is as good as it can possibly get for me. So don't mess this up. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel. The name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Michelle, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now, renaming someone or something in that culture was a really big deal because it signified ownership. And some of us have have done this with pets, right? You got a dog, you adopted a dog, or a dog was given to you a little later in life, uh, the dog's life, and you decided to rename the dog which was, I'm sure, super confusing for the dog. But you, but you could do that because you own the dog. It was your property. You can do whatever you wanted to do with the dog. That's what's happening here. Nebuchadnezzar gave new names to these select few group of boys who'd entered his service. And most of these new names had something to do with their Babylonian gods. When Nebuchadnezzar renamed these four teenagers, he was essentially communicating to them, I am your Lord. I am your master. I have final authority over your lives. I can do anything I want with you. I can do anything I want to you. You are my possession, and I can discard you at any time if you get out of line. Now, with all that as a backdrop, what Daniel, who's our main character in the story, did next is absolutely shocking. But Daniel, who was a 14 or 15-year-old boy at this point in time, resolved... And that word literally means he set the direction of his heart. He pre-decided. He made up his mind ahead of time. Daniel resolved not to 
defile himself. Now that little Hebrew word in Hebrew was original language that the book of Daniel was written in. That little Hebrew word defile means to pollute or stain. Daniel predecided not to pollute or stain himself. Figuratively, he made up his mind ahead of time not to desecrate himself, not to undignify himself, not to compromise himself. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Now, if you're, you're, you're probably thinking what maybe some of those other boys were thinking who were in there with Daniel. Like, Daniel, uh, this is a good gig. Why are you going to mess this up? Why are you going to lose this amazing opportunity, Daniel? Why in the world, Daniel, would you do that? And here's why. You've probably heard someone pray this before they ate, or maybe you've prayed this before you've had a meal. God, bless this food to nourish and strengthen our bodies. Many of us have prayed those words, and we don't think much about those words. But this kind of prayer actually points to something that ancient people took very literally, and something we should probably take more seriously too. Here's what it pointed to, because here's how they thought. God provides the food, because he provides the rain for the crops to grow. The food goes in the body, so the body can be healthy, and ultimately then the person can prosper. So it's God, food, body, health, prosperity. Now, Daniel believed that his God, Yahweh, was the one true God which created a huge problem for Daniel. And the problem was that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians believed that Nebuchadnezzar's food was blessed by and provided, provided by the God Marduk. So everyone would credit Marduk for Daniel's health, Daniel's intelligence, Daniel's success if Daniel ate Nebuchadnezzar's food. Daniel knew that if he ate Nebuchadnezzar's food and he prospered, it would be an admission that Marduk was more powerful than his God, Yahweh. Daniel knew the right thing he ought to do. So Daniel made up his mind, and this don't rush by this, Ahead of time. Daniel predecided he would do the right thing he knew he ought to, if and when the opportunity not to pre presented itself. Daniel knew that he would, he would not be used as evident, you know, as evidence that Marduk was more than just a figment of Babylonian imagination. Daniel predecided that he would do what God would have him do. Daniel predecided that he would be guided by integrity even if it cost him. Daniel made up his mind before Daniel knew how Daniel's story would play out and how Daniel's story would end. Daniel made up his mind ahead of time because Daniel remembered what we easily forget and then we remember when it's too late. That one breach of integrity leads to another and the first breach makes the second breach easier and the second breach creates a pattern. Daniel made up his mind ahead of time because Daniel knew that a pattern creates direction and direction is what determines destination. Daniel made up his time ahead of time because Daniel understood to maintain integrity, we, make, we must make up our minds ahead of time to be guided by integrity. So Daniel made up his mind ahead of time, knowing very well it might limit his time. But the story doesn't stop there. Because Daniel did something else that people who are guided by integrity do. He didn't pretend. He didn't say, yeah, give me the food and then act like he was eating it but slipping it to the dog under the table. Because that would have been a breach of integrity. Look what he did. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, I doubt he said, I would like not to defile myself. He probably didn't use that word. 
Well, however he said it, Daniel asked if he could have permission not to eat the food. He didn't pretend. He didn't mislead. That would have been what not to do because that would have been a lack of integrity. Listen, don't miss this. Don't miss this. By Daniel not hiding, by Daniel making known what he made up his mind ahead of time to do, Daniel placed himself at the mercy of his God. Daniel placed himself in the hands of God. And in doing so, he created an opportunity for God to intervene. In doing so, his only hope was for God to intervene. And God had not promised Daniel to intervene. Are you someone who's frustrated because you're not experiencing God? And his presence and power in your life? If so, this is so important. This is the most important part of the sermon for you. When we compromise our integrity, when we sacrifice doing the right thing we know we ought to, you know, that, that thing that God would have us do, to get ahead, to get that thing we don't think we can get in any other way, to protect ourselves because of it, what it will cost us if we don't, here's what we do. We close ourselves off to God. We close ourselves, we, we close the, 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 the door on the opportunity to see what God might do. We close the door on experiencing God's presence in our lives. And we close the door on what Daniel would call a now God moment. Check out these next two words. Now God. Now, now that I'm carrying out what I had pre-decided to do, now, God. God was working behind the scenes, but Daniel didn't know that. Daniel had no idea what he, that he was about to experience a now God moment. A now God moment is when you've done the right thing, you know you ought to, and there's a price to be paid, and God now decides to intervene. And let me tell you, you already know this. All this would be so much easier if we just knew now God moments ahead of time. It would have been easier for Daniel that, hey, you know, before he got into the palace, you know, he's sleeping one night and an angel shows up in his dream and be like, hey, Daniel, there's going to be this thing with food. The food's going to be good. Wine's going to be fantastic. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. Say you don't want to eat it. Don't worry, Daniel. It's all going to work out. I'm going to make it work out for you. That would have been easy, but that's not what happened. It would be easier for us too when you're feeling like, oh, man, if I don't do this thing, I know I ought not to do this thing, but if I don't do this thing, I'll never work in that industry. I'll never get ahead in that industry. And all of a sudden, one night in the middle of a, you know, the night, they go, an angel shows up in your dream and goes, don't worry, don't go do that thing. You're going to be a captain of the industry if you don't. But it doesn't work that way, does it? It doesn't for us. And it didn't for Daniel. There's no guarantees. There are no guarantees. This ain't the prosperity gospel. But it's worth the risk. It's worth it. Because it's always in our best interest to place ourselves at God's mercy. It's always in our best interest to place ourselves in the hand of God and to give him the opportunity to do whatever he chooses to do with you and through you. It's worth it because it's the only way to experience and be filled with God's presence and power in our life. The only way for that to happen is to place ourselves in his hands. 
Daniel has no idea how this is all going to work out. He was just doing what he ought to. And as a result, now God. Now God has caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. The type of favor and compassion that made no sense to Daniel or anyone else. The type of favor and compassion that Daniel attributed to now God intervening. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men because uh, the other men your age? The king will then have my head because of you. And we use that phrase, have my head, as a figure of speech. But that was not a figure of speech for the chief official. This was a common occurrence in Babylon for anyone who disobeyed the king. He could literally have your head cut off your body, and he did many times. And so he's looking at Daniel going, Daniel, this is just way too risky. And Daniel gets that, so he makes a proposition. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over him, or over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. <laughs> hey, I get it. This is scary for you. But one is, hey, for the next 10 days, keep feeding everyone else, you know, the king's choice food. But for me and the guys, we'll just eat vegetables and drink water for the next 10 days. And then after those 10 days, you compare and decide what you see. And if you don't like what you see, you can turn us into the king for refusing to participate. We'll take full responsibility. We don't expect you to suffer for our decision. I mean, geez Louise, talk about integrity. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And lo and behold, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. And do you know why? Now, God is why. Now, God. They experienced the presence and the power of God because they made up their minds ahead of time to be guided by integrity. They made up their minds ahead of time to choose what was important over immediate. Later, over now. Ought to, over want to. When the time came that it would cost them to do so. Then three years later, they've been doing this now for three years. Three years later, they were brought before Nebuchadnezzar and he interviewed them. And the king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his own kingdom. And why? Because their God, Yahweh, was ten times better than their fake Babylonian gods. And their God was present with them. And Daniel remained there in the king's service until the first year of King Cyrus. You know how long that was? First year of King Cyrus was 70 years later. Which means for 70 years he was strategically positioned to whisper into the ear of the most powerful man alive in human history at that point in time. And what set him up for that was his first decision to maintain his integrity even if it cost him. 
And there was decision after decision after decision like this for Daniel. And through it all, Daniel maintained his integrity. Through it all, Daniel never compromised his integrity even when it cost him. Through it all, Daniel was guided by integrity. So much so that 55 years after this took place, 55 years later, this is what was said about Daniel by a group of people who were jealous of him and who were trying to find some dirt on him to ruin his reputation over. This is what was said about him. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. That's integrity. That's something to aspire to, isn't it? (laughs) Wouldn't you love more people like this in your life? Wouldn't you love for your parents, your spouse, your boss, your leaders, your coaches, your friends to be like this? Wouldn't you love to hire someone like this? Wouldn't you love to date someone like this? Wouldn't you love for someone like this to marry your daughter? Wouldn't you love for people to describe you like this? I guarantee the people around you would like to describe you like this. Daniel was this type of person at 70 years old because he made up his mind as a teenager to be guided by integrity. To maintain integrity, we must make up our minds ahead of time to be guided by integrity. So, have you made up your mind? Middle school students, high school students, college students, engaged people, married people, people who are getting ready to have kids, people with kids, people who are thinking about going into retirement, people who are retired. Have you made up your mind? Have you predecided that you're going to do the right thing you know you ought to? Have you predecided that you're going to, that you're going to do what God would have you do sexually? Financially, relationally, if that situation arises, when you're with that person, if that opportunity comes around, with that appetite, in the midst of that temptation, in your marriage, at home, at work, on spring break, this Friday night, you know, we've all heard horror stories of CEOs, pastors, leaders of organizations having a huge breach of integrity financially is because as they led their organization, they had a breach of integrity financially because they used church funds, organization funds, company funds for their own personal gain, their own personal benefit. Well, I knew right from the start when I started Relevant that I wanted to maintain integrity financially. Like I knew I wanted that. But I knew I've seen all these other leaders fall. I knew I was probably not above falling as well. And so I knew it wouldn't happen by accident. So right from the start, before we even started Relevant, 13 and a half years ago, I made up my mind about some things. That I would never personally handle any finances at Relevant. That I would not be able to access the bank and wouldn't know how to access the bank account. That I would not be able to write checks and have not, you know, never write a check. That I would never touch the offering physically. And so for 13 and a half years, I haven't. For thir- I mean, I've never, I, I know what bank we bank at. I don't even know. If I showed up and said I'm Ronnie Rothy, they'd be like, 
cool, get out. You know, like, I don't even know how to access the bank account. I've never written a check. I don't have a check, a relevant checkbook. I've never been able to do that. And what that's done throughout the last 13 and a half years, it's removed a lot of temptation financially from me, and it's set me up just to be more financially trustworthy in leading our organization. Because here's what I know about me. I'm not above what other leaders have fell to. I'm not above that. I know I can fall to the same stuff. Like, I'm not stupid enough. Throw enough money in front of me and throw enough money in front of you and you probably are tempted to fall too. So I know I'm not an above it. So I had to make up my mind ahead of time to be guided by my integrity and for it to dictate every financial relationship as a leader of this organization. And the reality is, is most people haven't made up their mind. For most people, it's one day at a time, one decision at a time, one opportunity at a time, one deal at a time, one date at a time, one relationship at a time. And many people, may, maybe you, don't want to predecide because they assume it's too limiting. It locks me in and it locks out some things. Here's what you need to know. If you don't make up your mind ahead of time for integrity to be your, your guide, listen. You will be guided by something else. Lust will be your guide. Fear will be your guide. Greed will be your guide. Pride will be your guide. Emotions will be your guide. Your appetites will be your guide. FOMO will be your guide. Fear of missing out on him, on her, on that will be your guide. And let me tell you what, those are terrible guides because they lead to nothing but destruction and we know it and yet we'll still follow those guides. Here's the promise I can make to you. If you make up your mind ahead of time to be guided by integrity, you will miss out on some things. If you decide ahead of time for integrity to be your guide, you're going to miss out on some things. But let me tell you what you'll never have to experience. Regret. Shame. A ruined reputation, unnecessarily hurting the people you love, guilt, the anxiety of wondering if anyone will ever find out. So, let me ask you, what do you need to make up your mind about now so that you're guided by integrity later? Whatever it is, make up your mind to do the right thing you know you ought to. Make up your mind to do what God would have you do, even if it costs you. Listen. And it will cost you. But you won't regret it. You won't regret it because you've just created the opportunity for a now God moment. You won't regret it because as your integrity goes, so goes everything. Mostly your ability to experience the fullness of God's presence in your life because it's in those moments that you're placing yourself 
his hands. Before I close, I want to say just one final thing, to, and the, what I want, who I want to say to are those of you who have never put your faith in Jesus, who would not call yourselves a follower of Christ, who you've never asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins of your life, you're wondering why you're even here, you're tuning in, and I just want to let you know I'm glad that you are. But I want to say something to you that's going to sound a little bit weird, and maybe it sounds harsh, I don't know, but I'm saying it because I loved you. I, I love you. At this point in time in your life, and I know you want to experience God, it's why you're here, it's why you're tuning in. You're going to have a very hard time doing that. Here's why. Because you are closed off. You have closed yourself off to him. Initially opening starts with entering into a saving relationship with Jesus through putting our faith in Jesus by asking Jesus to be the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life. Until you open yourself in this way, you are never going to open yourself to God's presence in your life. Because your sin and my sin, it's what keeps us closed. That unforgiven sin, that unrepented sin, it's what keeps us closed from him and separated from him. Well, listen, Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose from the grave to destroy all of that, to forgive all of that, to reunite us in our, with our broken relationship with our holy, with the holy creator God, that our sin with him broke. So... Why not today be the day? And there's no pressure to ever do that. But if there's something in you that's going, I ought to do that. Take that next step. Let me give you an opportunity to do that as I pray. Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, I pray that we all just choose to take Whatever next step we need to take to identify what we need to make up our minds about right now. And we choose every day to let our integrity be our guide and do what we ought to, what you are leading us to, the right thing to do that you would have us to, regardless of what it costs us. And when it does, Lord, I pray that we experience those now God moments. I pray we only let you guide us, our integrity guide us, not something else. And Jesus, for every person that's never put their faith in you, and right now they just feel like they're ready to do that, they ought to, wherever they're at in this room, watching online, I pray quietly they choose to do that. That right now, just quietly where they're at, they just confess their need for a Savior because they realize their violation of sin against Holy Creator God broke the relationship with you that you created them for. And right now, Jesus, I pray that they just ask, that they declare that you, are the, that you can be the Savior, that you are the Savior. Um, your death was sufficient for the forgiveness of their sins. And through your death and resurrection, you prove that you are the Savior. And you can reunite and you can restore. And right now, Jesus, I pray that they ask you to be their Savior. That right now where they ask, they say, Jesus, I'm asking you to be the forgiver of my sin." And the leader, and the Lord, and the God of my life. And Lord, as they're praying that right now, I pray just that they have a strong sense 
of your spirit. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.